it took it took for me to forgive the person who gave me life for me to really really understand put my pride aside nurture my ego to dispel the anxiety and fear that i felt Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where each episode we share the stories of individuals that are living out their bucket slash life goal lists. I am your host, Roger Williams, and through hearing our guests' adventures, my goal is that you will find encouragement and empowerment to add and cross items off of your list. Welcome, everybody, to another episode so excited for you to be here with us as we uh, have this conversation with today's guest. A lot of times on our bucket list, uh, they don't have to be these grand adventures, but more things we want to accomplish and, and have fulfilled uh, in our lives. And a lot of times that may deal with relationships. And that is our guest's experience today. Margarita de Margarita is a person that believes that she's unapologetically courageous uh, to be simply be. Uh, Margarita, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is going to be good. So tell us, what is the thing that you crossed off your list? My cross off list is my release of resentment. Okay. So when we start talking about resentment, that how far back does that go for you? Where does this, where does this resentment start building up and to whom was it directed? Um, as far back, uh, clearly, our memory is uh, six years old. Wow. And it was a, a childhood resentment towards my mother. Okay. That um, continued into my adult life and the child mentality. You talk about releasing it. That was what was on your list. What was, what did that resentment look like for you as a child and how did you carry that? And what were some of the things that you did to carry that either intentionally or unintentionally into adulthood? It started out with the belief that my mother didn't love me. Mm. That um, She placed the love for her husband before the love of her children. And as the time went on, I just resented her. I viewed her as being weak and pathetic and a woman who should have never had children because we grew up not knowing what it was to have a warm embrace, to have words of encouragement spoken to us. She loved Elvis Presley. So my sisters and I, the the joke in the house was um, growing up was that our name was Bitch and our father was Elvis because Mm -hmm. that's how she would call us out. It's it's stuck. It seems like you you talk about that it stuck with you through adulthood. How did that resentment shape you as you went from this child that wasn't getting what they needed to an adult and having your own relationships, your own family, those kind of things? Well, my mother was very, uh, from my perspective, uh, from childhood, she was very needy of a man's attention. Mm. Um, she never did anything on her own never went out with us we didn't know what it was to go to a movie theater none of that everything was her time was to be dedicated to her husband which meant when he was at work she would cook when we got home from school hungry we were not allowed to eat until he got home from work because he had to be the first one served out of the the pots so as I got older I became me viewing her that way I just left such a bitter, a bitterness to me that I became an alpha. 
I became everything she wasn't. In my relationships, I was always in control. My, when, my, when my children came along, my children were my priority. And then they ate, they were hungry. They ate. I did everything opposite of her. And it wasn't until uh, my late husband, which was my third husband, that um, I found out what I had become because he told me one day, do you think I can be the man of the house today? Mm. So her watching her drove me to the opposite side of the spectrum. And my daughter was 10 years old the first time I was able to hug her. My son was six. I would tell them, I love you. I just don't like to be touched. So her lack of warmth when I needed it, you see, um, at six years old, my mother moved in with another man. So it was my older sister, my younger sister, and he hit me. And I told my dad and my dad beat him to a bloody poke. <sighs> While my dad was in jail for 90 days, he started molesting me. And at that age, I realized that if I were, if I were to tell my dad now that he was molesting me, my dad would kill him and my dad would go to jail forever. So I sacrificed myself so that my father would never be put in that position. And as a child like that, a mother of three daughters, she should have been more attentive. And that carried on until I was 14 that I had the, the finally the, the will to like actually fist fight him off of me. When she found out the truth, because I shared it when I was babysitting um, with the babysitter, because I just I wanted to kill him at this point. And I only because I didn't want my little sister to be a victim of it. When she found out I had just turned 15 and she said, is it true? And I, I told her, yes. And he would tell me, you, if you tell your mother, she's not going to believe, you know, she's going to believe me because that was all she yeah. saw was her man. And her first response to me at 15, after finally being able to breathe enough to tell her what was happening, is still very painful. Sure. She said, it's your fault, bitch, for wearing tight jeans. Mm. And I was like, when I was six. And so, like, maybe six months later, I became sexually active. And when she found out at 16, she made me marry the boyfriend I didn't even love, but it was to get me away from her, her husband. So I got married at 16 in February of 85. And I gave birth to my daughter in May of 86. I wasn't even pregnant when she forced me to get married. And I still, my father couldn't understand why I was doing that. And I didn't tell him because then he would kill both of them at this mm -hmm. point. And um, I come from a very um, vibrant family. My mom was as an Italian, born in Italy, and my father was born in Puerto Rico. So I have two fiery <laughs> bloodlines running through me. And so then they broke up. And so that happened and it had to be accepted, right? But I, I kept realizing that I, I was still worthy. I would look at her and not understand how I came from her. And then he left her when I was 18. And then, so I, now I have a two-year-old. I'm a single parent. We all move into an apartment again together. My mother, my sister, two cousins, and myself and my daughter. When she meets another man and she moves out. And we were evicted because she was the only one on the, on the lease. So mm -hmm. I slept for two weeks in, in November, early December in a car with my daughter. 
everyone else have places to go. I didn't have no place to go. First of all, I don't like to burden. I don't like mm-hmm. to. So when the car broke down, I said, mom, I don't have nowhere to go. Nothing. And then a friend told me about his cousin and his wife who had an apartment, whatever. My cousin was staying there with me and my daughter. And one night she couldn't stay with me. That's when I was raped as my two-year-old slept beside me. And I never told my mom because I blamed her. I blamed her for all, like, had she been responsible, um, that wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't have been sleeping in a car with a two-year-old in the middle of winter. I wouldn't have had to go someplace I was unfamiliar with. And thank God my daughter didn't wake up to see that. But so I held that resentment. And I dealt with it later on is I barely, I barely dealt with her. I didn't reach out to her as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I did see her, I never disrespected. We never, you know, you're taught to respect. So I never disrespected her blatantly. I never cursed at her. Never. I, it was always a kiss. Bendición, mami. How are you? But always like from a distance, like my energy just made me feel like I had a thousand ants on me when I was around her. Mm-hmm. And then March 2017, my husband passed away. I was from ALS. He was diagnosed two weeks before our first wedding anniversary. So I became, I went from newlywed wife to, he was misdiagnosed two and a half years prior to that with fibromyalgia. So when the actual ALS diagnosis came, he was already becoming paralyzed. So I was a a nurse, full-time caregiver for six years. He passed away March 17th. I went to Spain. I did the Camino de Santiago at the end of April. Um, And then I came back. I went to Hong Kong, Thailand, Dubai. And then in November, I get a call from my sister in Connecticut that my mom was in a psych ward, that I needed to come home and help her take care of her. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not. And she's like, Margie, I can't do it alone. I said, I can't. Like, I don't, I, I love my mother because she was my mother, but I did not like her. And I was like, why would I help her? Yeah. Again, all that resentment build up, right? I prayed on it. it because I'm very spiritual. I prayed on it. I said, why would you give me another assignment so soon after completing the first one? And why her? I can't do it. I can't do it. Two weeks later, I'm on a flight, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my grandmother was horrible to my father. And uh, so it was my grandfather. But the last three years of my grandmother's life, my dad was her best friend. He did everything for her, did, you know, they went to lunch, took her to golf. They went, you know, everything that she, she needed or wanted, he did. And that just amazed me because I knew what had happened those early years. <laughs> and for him to do that, it just absolutely blew my mind that he could have that kind of empathy and grace. And so what happened? So then what happened with that relationship? I and mean, were you, you said you wanted to release that resentment, how that, you know, going and helping her, what was the catalyst for being able to do that? Well, the first three years of me tending to her, I lived in my sister's house in Connecticut and it was hard. And I felt like she was just being manipulative and needy. Mm. And then in March 3rd, 2020, I moved her here to Florida with me. And I was like, am I crazy? I'm going to be the only one taking care of her. But I needed to because I don't know. It was just something I felt because I'm very spiritual. And then a week later, the quarantine and all of that happened. Mm. So the first couple of months in my house was kind of difficult because she was disoriented and, and you know, because of her dementia. But she, she wasn't fully with the dementia, but disorientation, um, telling me she wanted to go home. And then 
she ended up in a rehab because she wasn't walking. And I said, it's because she was unresponsive. She was toxic medication given to her in Connecticut. So anyway, she was there for three weeks. I almost got arrested because I wanted to, the, the treatment they gave her at this rehab center. So I brought her home and I, I just, I don't know, that moment of seeing someone mistreat my mother, it like flipped a switch because I always speak about forgiveness and it flipped a switch and to see the bruises on her from her falling and them never notifying me and just the, the, the awful neglect they gave her. So I brought her home and I started talking to her just because she never explained anything to us. And the forgiveness came through conversation, mm -hmm. through compassion. Like I was looking at her through that six-year-old's eyes. I'm excited to announce the release of my new book, Live Out Your List, Finding Joy Through a Bucket List Lifestyle. The book covers the three stages of the lifestyle, including bucket list mindset, bucket list creation, and bucket list management. It provides tips and strategies to enhance wherever you are in your bucket list journey. To learn more about the book and to receive 10% off when you purchase the ebook, visit crossingitoffpodcast.com backslash book. Purchase the book today and start to live out your list. Now back to the show. I learned so much about her past that I realized my mom was molested and raped from her stepfather and actually had a kid from it. And they, they made her seem like she was a whore. Mm. And I don't think she had the, the, the strength or the support because as soon as she got with my father, who's a dark skinned Puerto Rican, she's blonde, light eyes, see through skin. They, they disowned her. Mm. So I learned all of this from her. And I, I asked her, you know, it was the last six months of her life. And I said, mom, I'm so sorry for holding on to a resentment formed in a child's mentality that I never revisited in my adult life. I never found peace within myself to forgive you. And she said the same thing to me. And it was so harmonious. So her death was very, she had a, a seizure. And she died a week later in the same bedroom my husband died in, which today is my bedroom. And the beauty of forgiveness, it doesn't leave a stain when it's, when it's mind, body, and soul working together towards this. It, communication is so important. You know, and the piece that I just wrote, I wrote, confrontation is my love language, but I could never bring myself past my own self, my, that, that inner child that held that resentment, I couldn't see past that. To seek forgiveness for being so distant from the woman who chose to give me life mm. when everyone abandoned her because I'm, I'm the first child she had with my dad. And I didn't see past that. And here I am, a life coach, a sacred healer. You know, I'm a spiritual coach at that. And I just didn't want to understand her because I was wounded. So through forgiveness, I learned to forgive myself. And that in itself gave me closure to all those negative harboring thoughts that ate away with me and ruined all my relationships. Like my third husband, I didn't walk out on because he died. <laughs> but I would have walked out on him as well because I was incomplete. 
I didn't value myself. So I wanted to control everything and, and not have anybody dictate anything to me and live as though I was single when I was in a relationship. Uh, Margarita, what was the feeling like when you had that realization? Okay, I, I can give this forgiveness. I can have empathy for my mom finally after all these years. I mean, I think that, you know, I know that that was my turnaround with my dad because he also couldn't, because of how he grew up, was not capable of giving me the love that I wanted or in the way I wanted it. And, you know, we're all silly, stupid when we're young and, and don't have, you know, we're never taught to have empathy for our parents. I think that has a large part to do mm-hmm. with it. Um, very hard to teach you to have empathy for the person teaching you, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, it's hard for a parent to say, Hey, have empathy for me. When you got to that point, what was the, what was the emotional feelings behind those moments when you started releasing that resentment? What did that feel like for you? The first time, I, I didn't, I couldn't put it into words. It was like an outer shell of me was just shattered. Mm. And I felt super light. I felt like I can see her, like see her. Mm. Like I, I didn't see her with that wicked face anymore <laughs> because that's what she was to me. She was, she was just somebody who didn't care about us. And when that, when I decided, to forgive before I even voiced it out to her. I started feeling funny. Now, a backstory to that is when I started getting molested at six, I never cried after that. I didn't know what was the sound of my cry. When I tell you I didn't cry, I did not cry. And because I became this alpha, uh, I walk in the room, I own the, you know, I'm more owner of the building than you are. Mm-hmm. That type of thing. I walked in, my presence was known. I walked with the straightforward demeanor. And, you know, we would be places and people would say, oh, you're the leader, right? And I'm looking at him like, what are they saying? But that was my demeanor because I had to be strong because she was so weak. So I heard the sound of my cry at 52 when That's she cool. died. That's a long time. And my children and my sisters, they, they didn't know what to do. They literally walked away from me because <laughs> for my kids, that was the first time in their lives that they ever seen me cry. Now, mind you, my dad died. Who was the love of my life? My husband died. And I, to both of those funerals, I felt like somebody, like I came into town to visit somebody mm. and they're like, okay, I got to run to a friend's funeral. Come with me. Like I, I was null and void. Like, why am I here? I'm both of those. And so my children who are 36 and 32 right now were like, what the hell's happening? Margie's crying. And so they're still very uncomfortable to see me cry now, but now I cry all the time. And... <laughs> That was, it was like the Hoover Dam busted open when I forgave my mom. How, how have your relationships changed, especially with your, you, you mentioned your, your children and your sisters. How have those relationships directly changed since, you, since this happened for you that you released that resentment? With everybody. Um, mm-hmm. They still don't know how to act. I lived all of my life, minus five and a half years, six years. Who remembers that? Mm-hmm. All of my 
life, they would not see me cry. Like, I would tell you, oh my God, I cried. And they're like, well, what? You dropped a tear? You let a tear come to the corner of your eye? When I would feel pain or sorrow, I would feel it come up and it felt like a golf ball. And then I would be like, you better not. You better not. And I would Mm -hmm. swallow it. When I tell you I had throat pains for two to three days afterwards, that's, that's, it's just insurmountable for me to say the grief that has been layered and layered and layered mm-hmm. upon my soul. And it took, it took for me to forgive the person who gave me life, for me to really, really understand, put my pride aside, nurture my ego to dispel the anxiety and fear that I felt that I wasn't worthy of love. And that's why I walked away from all my relationships. I walked away from my son's father who raised my daughter since she was two and a half, still so in love with that man. Mm. But because I was done, I didn't want, he, he was very stubborn. He's a Brooklyn born, stubborn Puerto Rican. And, and it, it was just too much. Like, I didn't feel he was strong enough. I didn't, you know, to me, I was like, like Mufasa, you know, <laughs> I was the king of the jungle. And if anybody didn't match that, they weren't worthy of me. But mm. it was all just a facade, you know? And when this happened, it was like I finally saw the sunrise. And so what do those relationships look like now? What, I mean, are, are you still the alpha or, or have you? I don't know. I've that? been, I haven't dated since my husband died five years ago. I haven't been in a relationship. With your daughters and your sister then? Well, they're, they're like, they still get shocked. They still get surprised. My kids, I was, uh, well, how can I tell you? Alpha being born in one of the worst housing projects in Bridgeport. I was the very confrontational not violent, uh, mm-hmm. not physical, but I wasn't a confrontation over the phone. I was, uh, oh, this is happening. I would go knock on your door. <laughs> you didn't open. I would kick your door open. I had a lot of hell in me. You know, my kids saw that I would take them to demonstrations. I, when I did public speaking on rape and molestation, I brought my kids. I needed them to learn the world. I needed them mm-hmm. to say, Mom's a badass. I didn't fear anything. My biggest fear was that I had no fear. It still is. But that always was my biggest fear because I saw my mom as being so weak and pathetic and needy and clingy that I could not be none of those things. So I don't know when I'll be in another relationship, but that's going to be interesting. (laughs) That's going to surprise the shit out of me, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but... With my siblings, my kids will say, like, if something pops off and I, I'm just, nothing's disrupting my peace now. Mm. When, you know, when you fully forgive from your soul, someone as important as your mom or, or your dad, it's, there's nothing you cannot do. There's nothing you cannot do. It is so enlightening that if this isn't worth dying for, I ain't giving it my time anymore. Oh, so-and-so said that she's allowed to have her opinion, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, I did, I did. I went from one side of the spectrum to the other. So something happened and my, my son who's like a big guy, right? He's like, ma, you're going to let that slide. Where's the Margie I knew? 
And I said, she's in the back seat. Don't wake her up. <laughs> there. Yeah, and, and that's how we, that's how we deal with my change where they're mm-hmm. still at a comfortable level. And they know that I, I am still the original me, but she doesn't have to be front and center all the time. Like I'm protecting my peace, you know? And so that, that's, it's working. It works for me. And you know what, Roger, I, 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 you know, I survived mm-hmm. many things and I've never been like, I've always been straightforward. I keep it real. I don't care who likes me. I don't care who, who doesn't. That's not my business. I've always been like that though, because I've always had to protect myself. Mm-hmm. Now, my dad was the love of my life. But when they did a testing on my mom, they they told, said my mom has schizophrenic. And I said, no, she's just being, you know, herself needy. She wants to pretend mm. she's sick, you know. Come to find out that my mom didn't have schizophrenia, which I told them. She don't, how are you going to diagnose her at 72? But what happened is when they did the food testing here in Florida, six months before she passed, what was discovered was that my mother had the dementia that the NFL players had. Wow. That causes hallucinations due to blunt force trauma. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, that's the only way that happens. Now, although my father was the love of my life, he was the, the gardener of our roots. He planted seeds throughout our lives that some have blossomed like now. And I'm like, oh, that's what he was trying to tell us. I was so angry with him when my mom died that I couldn't even call out his name. I didn't pray that he'd be in light, nothing. I was angry because my father used to beat the shit out of my mom like well she she wasn't a saint she shot him in the groin because she caught a woman on his lap like we have front row seats to the most violent horror flicks you can imagine but he used to really beat her on the head he split her head open so when I heard that it just woof, it transported me back to that and those were the and I think that that's when the resentment really started but I couldn't fathom it because I was so young is that why did she stay with him mm-hmm why do you stay? So then she got with this man that he didn't hit her. So she, he became her world. So, I mean, I can't pinpoint. All I can say is sure. my earliest thing was six when she didn't protect me. So instead of being mad at her, when I found out she was also molested by her mother's husband, I understood her. It mm-hmm. was like an understanding, you know, because, because, you know, after she passed away, I'm sitting with my sisters and I said, you know, we had the best teacher in our lives and we didn't never brought her an apple. Mm. Like, and in hindsight, it's a frenemy because you learn it, but then why did I have to learn it so late? Like, now I don't have a chance to say, to hug her really, you know? Yeah, Bruce Bruce Springsteen had one of the best quotes. I think he said his father was um, his his biggest hero and and his biggest enemy all at the same time. And I think that happens a lot with parents and their, and their children. You know, growing up, both our parents were alcoholics. Our early childhood memories of my mom and dad being together, they were alcoholics. And then, you know, that was like early 70s LSD. He was always like spaced out. And then throughout his life until he died, today marks 15 years that my papi died. Um, he was a weekday alcoholic and a weekend crackhead. So hmm. I would get people come to my job and say, we're looking for Mikey's daughter. And I'm like, Mikey, who? And they would describe him in Spanish. I worked at the phone company where they pay the bill. And I was like, 
that's my father. And they're like, no, Mikey, because my father was dark skinned. He was Indian with jet black hair. And I'm like, I'm his daughter. What's going on? So I had to go and pay his debt so they wouldn't hurt him. And, you know, that that was also something that was terrible in, in, my, in my, my relationship. But that was my dad. So it wasn't until I heard the, the doctors told me that, that I got angry with him. I always blame my mom for saying, like, mm-hmm. you can't control what other people do. You can control you, you know, what you do afterwards. So, but she taught us how to build strength from broken pieces. She taught us how to lie, laugh at life's chaotic seasons as we figured out how to jump off the wave. She taught us how to stand alone and think for ourselves. She taught us the most important lesson of all in her final hours, she taught us forgiveness. You know, she taught us that courage lives within and that only we can activate it into action. Yeah. People listening to this podcast can't see the smile on your face <laughs> while you're saying those words. And so I want them to know that, that I can see that that comes from the heart. Margarita, if somebody was in, the, was in a similar position and said, I want to get rid of this resentment, not you, you've talked about the benefits of in your life of doing that, but, but what is like one thing on the how to do it? Right. If somebody wanted to to do this, make this happen for themselves as well, how would you suggest? What's the one thing that you would suggest if you if you're really serious about doing this, getting rid of this resentment in your life, you need to do X. Two things. You gotta sure. forgive yourselves for holding on to the sour moments. See, we tend to remember the bad memories, but there was good ones yep. in there, but we forgot. So you need to forgive yourselves for holding on to that because before we can forgive anything outside of us, we got to forgive ourselves for even just entertaining those memories. And second, you must forgive all the bullshit travesties that were done to you because they were done to you. It happened and it should not define your character, who you are, because you didn't ask for it. But I think, On the road to forgiveness and to release resentments, we have to ask ourselves, what role did I play in this? Mm. And my role was that I never revisited that childhood resentment. I never gave my mother the opportunity to meet her adult daughter. Mm. uh, Powerful words. Thanks for sharing them with us. What is the next thing that you want to cross off your list? What's something else that you have? Doesn't have to necessarily be... This heavy, it could be something light. It could be whatever you want. You know, um, to cross off my next list, the, the next thing, the last thing I want to cross off my list is to fully be present in my now. Mm. Um, after mom died, I, I sat with the seasonal sadness for a minute, questioning my caregiving techniques. And did I yell at her too much when I thought, thought she was being manipulative? And so that seasonal sadness, I'm here thinking that it was depression and that it was um, some kind of guilt. But it, it was an innate sorrow, but it was more of a sorrow for me for holding on mm-hmm. to what you know, when I practice and when I teach my life coaching, there's five things I tell people to do and I wasn't doing it, which was to acknowledge what happened, right? Acknowledge it, write it down if you have to, accept that it was painful, that it was troublesome, that it put you in a whole different bucket. Allow yourself to feel it one more time. <laughs> feel it in your now, because now you're not the person you were when it actually happened. Allow yourself to feel it and then release it. Hmm. Just if you have to say it out loud, if you have to really do that scream, that horrible scream that like just 
wakes everything up in you and then celebrate the courage you had to acknowledge it, to accept it, to allow yourself to feel the pain. Because as Rumi says, the cure for the pain is in the pain. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us want to avoid pain. And pain reminds us that we are alive to make changes, to cross off the things on your list. So my last, the, my, my thing to cross off, my last thing would be to embrace that seasonal sadness because it taught me so much of who I am and it taught me of my inner strengths and how to see those triggers coming, acknowledge that they're there, say, I see you, you can no longer stay and bid it adieu. Awesome. Thanks for all those words. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your candor. Uh, we'll have to put the E explicit on this episode, which I do not care about. Uh, no, no, don't worry about it. She covered her mouth. No way. Uh, I, I love the fact that you came as you, and that's super important. Um, Margarita, where can people find you uh, to get engaged with some of the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, share with us that stuff. Um, I have a website. I'm, I'm reorganizing it now, but it's Margarita de Margarita.com. Um, I'm on Instagram under the same thing, Margarita de Margarita, and Facebook, Margarita, and my legal name, Margarita Chapman. And I talk all about these things on other forms. Right now, I launched my coffee business. It's called Naturally Orgasmic Cafe Company. <laughs> I roast my own coffee. I roast it in the most serene area. I don't have no electronics near it. I play jazz. I burn sage. I dance. I have this very vibrant aura because that's the recipe of love that goes into roasting these beans. And that's what makes my coffee different. I started making the coffee while my mother was alive. When she napped, I found something to do. And it's become something that I launched now. And it's my coffee is to invoke happy childhood memories one sip at a time. It is a revolution of awareness. So I'm very proud of it. And that's on the bag. My coffee is not just a coffee brand. It is a revolution of awareness. And that was on my website. And then soon I'm going to have the store where people can order it. And with it, you know, you get coaching. You can this package, there's subscriptions. And I'm all nice. for sacred healing the soul of people to see that life is beautiful and that mistakes happen to teach us not to punish us margarita thank you so much for being here i appreciate it and i appreciate your candor uh, keep doing all the amazing things you're doing no thank you i'm so proud to be on your show so proud i listen to your podcast you're amazing and you keep doing what you're doing because people need you the world needs you yeah, we, we definitely need each other that's for sure thank you so much for being here You're welcome as a reminder to our listeners in this episode's show notes you will find links to learn more about this week's guests and information on how you can cross this item off of your list you can follow my adventures of crossing items off my bucket list on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, new episodes of this podcast are available to stream every Friday morning. We will meet you here next week. And until then, keep living out your list.